Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. I'm really enthused and really excited to have on the show today, Pyle DeVacaran on the show. And Pyle is a principal at 406 Ventures. Pyle, hopefully I didn't butcher your last name. Um, <laughs> Pyle, I don't want to steal her thunder. Uh, welcome to the show and uh, great to have you on. And thank you for peeling off time to do this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So, I, you know, I, I'm really fascinated by origin stories, you know, the circumstances, events, whatever you call them, that that lead people to do what, what they do. Obviously, you have a strong passion for health. I'm very uh, fascinated by the, the items and companies and topics you're involved in with health. But tell us a little bit about your origin story. Tell us about what led you to become the person you are. Sure. And it, uh, you know, health actually in healthcare comes in a lot later into the narrative. And so um, it's an interesting evolution. But uh, I'll start from the beginning. So I'm a Boston native, uh, born and raised. I uh, did live a few years in India um, after I was born, but otherwise have, have largely been in, uh, grew up in the Boston area. And I went to MIT undergrad and studied electrical engineering and, and management. And that was kind of a dream come true. Uh, growing up always, you know, was taking things apart, putting them together. I'm really fascinated by how things worked. Um, and so it was, uh, it's kind of a natural, um, you know, sort of area to, to study and, and a great place uh, to be. I also happen to meet my husband at MIT. So there's a, a soft mm. spot my heart there for, for the institution. Um, started my career at, at J.P. Morgan in, in tech investment banking, and that's where I really got the finance um, boot camp. Um, you know, even though I was trained technically, I always thought I wanted to really understand how businesses, you know, operate and how they think about, um, particularly the finance side of the house, which I found to be pretty impactful. So that's why I started my career there. After a couple of years there, um, I, I went to uh, a firm called Spectrum Equity, which is a private equity firm, and I was in the Boston office as an associate. Um, and my responsibility there for three years was, was sourcing investment opportunities in companies, in tech companies that were bootstrapped, founder-owned, and had grown to a really interesting scale. Um, you know, Spectrum has invested in companies like you know, SurveyMonkey and, um, and Lynda.com and Ancestry.com and a whole, you know, kind of that ones that you recognize, but then also a whole set of kind of B2B um, companies that I was spending a lot of time with. Um, interestingly, Spectrum has a, a strong healthcare practice, but I didn't spend any time there while I was at Spectrum. So I was really kind mm. of grounded in, you know, my early career starts in, in technology. Um, and we'll get to the evolution here in a bit. Um, so that's where I really got my investing chops, you know, learned how to, to source companies, learned how to execute on deals, um, and then a little bit of flavor for what happens post-investment. I realized I wanted to stay in investing, and, you know, part of the, the stamp needed for that was potentially getting an, an MBA, particularly in the in the private equity realm. So I went to um, Harvard Business School and got my MBA, and I had two pivotal experiences that really transitioned me away from private equity and into venture. You know, first was that I started um, a tech company, so I was a co-founder and CEO of a company called Spot Rocket, um, where we um, built an algorithm and a website to um, kind of rank 20,000 global startups and tell students which ones were interesting to work for. Uh, and we monetized with jobs, so you could look for a company in Denver that was less than five years old and marketing tech. 
Uh, and you could, you know, our website was kind of the easiest place to slice and dice the data, but then also mm-hmm. find jobs um, at those companies. Um, so saw that through a year and a half of launching products, fundraising, uh, selling to customers, and ultimately realizing we hadn't built the data asset fast enough. And uh, and when we realized you know, it was going to be a little bit tough space to monetize, we had we started M and A discussions, and mm-hmm. and the data um, became a bit of an issue. And so a lot of good good learnings there, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and realization that I really enjoyed working with early stage companies. The other experience I had um, was I worked at a VC-backed company in, in the Bay Area called Eventbrite and was uh, one of the early hires around Corp Dev uh, there. And so those two experiences helped me realize that I didn't want to go back into private equity, but I wanted to go into venture capital. And that's what led me to uh, to 406 Ventures when I decided I wanted to be in Boston. Um, and I started at 406 as a generalist in our three segments. We have three segments. Digital health is one of them. Uh, about 40% of our portfolio cybersecurity is another core segment, about another 40%, and then data and cloud. So when I first started here, I thought, look, I came from tech and I'm going to, of course, I'm going to focus on cybersecurity and data and cloud. Interestingly, my first two investments happened to be in digital health. Uh, they were companies including Axial Healthcare and Redox. And um, I realized I brought a really strong technology perspective into healthcare. You know, I was willing to kind of learn the intricacies of the healthcare industry and didn't have the hubris to say, you know, what works in technology works in, in healthcare. I happened to be married to a doctor. Um, my husband's a cardiologist. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the, you know, the opportunity and apprenticeship to work with my colleague, Liam Donahue, um, who had, who then heads up our, uh, our healthcare practice. And so here I am kind of four years later um, here at 406 and I co-lead our digital health practice and, and I'm really focused on, on healthcare today. I love it. I love it. File, um, really deep and wide background, very broad spectrum, interesting, you know, consumer perspective, obviously you're bringing, you're probably you're bringing that to, to healthcare, uh, you know, Axial, Redox, great company. So great, great, definitely first picks, um, you know, on, on your end. Uh, there, so really fascinating. Like what you've what you've been focused on. I guess you know what I'd I'd love to hear also. You know, a follow up to that is, you know, what are some of the 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 topics in healthcare? What are some things in healthcare that really are capturing your attention, your focus, and your fascination these days? I just love to hear a little bit more. Sure, you know, I'll, I'll take a step back and kind of start from the four or six perspective. Um, and give you a sense of, of where we spend time. So at 406, we are investing at the Series A stage. We're looking for companies that have product market fit, but they're usually fairly early, you know, less than 10 employees. They have a product that's off the ground and, and a couple early customers. Um, and our entire digital health practice focuses on companies that sell to either health systems or to payers. Um, so we won't do any B2C, we won't do any direct-to-consumer healthcare, we don't do any investments in companies that are pharma-facing, don't do any med devices, therapeutics, diagnostics. We're really you know, specialized in, in B2B, what we call enterprise health, um, solving problems for health systems and payers. And the reason for that uh, is a couple-fold. I think the first is just where you know, kind of our experience lies. Everything that I've done to date has been B2B, and I just find that to be interesting. I think the second is, um, you know, we, we, Liam and I, believe that, you know, if you're going to solve healthcare, you have to follow where the dollars flow, and the mm-hmm. dollars flow through these entities. Um, and, and so you can best get to the consumer 
and engage and really, really move the needle on outcomes if you are um, providing a solution to, um, you know, either the providers or the payers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, third, I think we just, we find that um, it's a lot at the center of a lot of our companies is a real mission to change healthcare. And, and often, um, you know, those companies are first adopted by health systems or, or payers. You know, it's really hard for consumers to, um, to engage in, in their health. And you often find that it's mostly the really well, um, you know, consumers or patients that engage in their health that will wear a Fitbit or that will, you know, be proactive about their health care. But what we really get excited about is how do you engage that patient or that consumer that, that you know, has chronic disease or has comorbidities but doesn't engage in health care, leads an unhealthy lifestyle, um, you know, doesn't know... Uh, the first thing about accessing healthcare. How do you get to that? How do you identify that person? How do you get to that person? And how do you provide a technology-based intervention that's going to really move the needle? And so we are really focused on those types of populations, and that's what kind of gets us excited. It's almost the unsexy, right? It's the mm-hmm. it's it's um it's not the flashy. And so I think what you know I characterize what excites me as um you know health companies in healthcare that use data. They use that data to really identify subpopulations or patients um, that fit a particular kind of framework. And then they provide a technology-enabled intervention against that um, set of patients or subpopulation. And by doing that, they decrease downstream medical spend and, and costs, and, and that's how they really move the needle in healthcare. And you see that in spades in our portfolio and company. We've already mentioned Axial, which is in the pain management space then able to, in the behavioral health space, you know, Iora in primary care, you know, Virtue mm-hmm. Dent, which is doing this in, in dental, um, and on and on. Um, so I think that's that's probably the biggest category that gets me excited. I think the second, you know, category that gets me really excited is, is companies that are unlocking the data potential in healthcare. So I just think that's the phase that we're in right now is, is how do you um, lever- how do you get access to the, the the plethora of data? How do you make sense of it? How do you make it from messy to usable, um, etc.? And and that's where um, you know companies like Redox in our portfolio, which do EMR interoperability and allow companies to really access the healthcare health record data, um, are playing an important role. Or companies like Abacus, um, which are which are doing the same thing for payer data. So. Um, I, I'd say right now that, that those are the types of companies um, that are getting me most excited. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, definitely, um, you know, investing in these these opportunities and, and growing these opportunities that are, you know, unlocking data, engaging patients better, um, you know, reaching out with them to, with the right messaging at the right time and then following the dollars is really, um, really key and important. And, and along the lines of the, uh, the follow-up to the dollars question, how do you think about this new, you know, value-based economy or value-based movement that we're in? Do you think it's happening fast enough? Do you have any thoughts or theses of any other um, things from a from a legislative or just a market opportunity standpoint that really need to be unlocked before we really, you know, reach that point? Sure. Look, I think it's um, 
it's going to take time because of the, mm-hmm. the complexity and the, and the multi-stakeholder nature of, of healthcare. But mm-hmm. um, we do see that, uh, you know, there, there is a shift from fee-for-service to value-based, and, mm-hmm. and we see it firsthand in our, our portfolio. Um, you know, Iora is a great example of, of a company that's entirely, you know, value-based um, payments uh, for primary care and taking care of Medicare Advantage patients. Um, we've got it. And another uh, company in our portfolio called WellBe Health um, that takes care of PACE patients, those who are dual eligible and nursing home eligible and and, um, and is paid in a value-based manner. And so mm-hmm. we are, we're certainly seeing that. We're seeing companies like Axial taking risk and, and, and having risk contracts. So I think the, the innovative companies and the innovative, um, you know, uh, payers and, and providers are, are certainly thinking about um, value-based. I mean, the reality today is that majority of, of the payments and incentives are still fee-for-service in healthcare, um, and I think it's, it's going to take time. Um, mm-hmm. We are hopeful that we are a catalyst in, in that change to right. value-based. Like, we will not invest in any company that's fee-for-service oriented, mm-hmm. Um you know, we uh, only invest in companies that are trying to either pursue a value-based model or that are trying to fulfill the vision of value-based care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we won't invest in companies in segments like revenue cycle management, um, where where we just believe you're kind of continuing to facilitate and perpetuate fee-for-service healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, it goes back to, you know, both our interests and, and then our mission orientation, where, where we just believe this is the right thing for healthcare and whether it's going to take another you know, decade or, or three decades, we want to be part of that change and, and we want mm-hmm. all of our companies to be part of it. So, um, so that's where I'm kind of, uh, of most, most focused. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, a follow up to that. So, you know, a lot of the companies you invest in, um, you know, very minimal resources to start off with selling, selling the healthcare, you can have long sales cycles. It's, it's hard to penetrate, hard to get in sometimes. Uh, and sometimes you can get, you know, you know, people trying you, but then not moving over to a greater like three year or two year contract. Right. Have you seen some of your companies, any one or two or three things that really works for them to create, you know, leverage, you know, like latching on to some sort of like CPT code or lot latching mm-hmm. on to some, you know, the joint commission or latching on to certain, you know, DRGs or, or bundle payments. Mm-hmm. Any, any like combinations or individual things uh, aside from just pure grit, right? And persistence mm-hmm. really grow yeah. and scale that you've really seen that really, really works. I know we have a lot of listeners that are, you know, health tech, um, you know, founders in orientation and sure. um, just love to hear if you've seen some things that really work. Sure. Yeah. So I'd, I'd probably point to, to three things. Um, you know, the first, uh, and that, that we look for, um, on the onset of our investment is that companies have a notion of or are on their way or have proven some sort of hard dollar ROI for their mm-hmm. customer. That if you're going to spend, you know, if a health system or a payer is going to spend a dollar on the company, that they're going to get at least two dollars plus mm-hmm. of some sort of savings. Um, or revenue generation, but most often it's in it's in savings. Um, and and we're kind of maniacal about this exactly for the reason that sales cycles are so um, challenging in healthcare. And and we've seen that some of our companies 
who have the strongest ROI have been able to accelerate those sales cycles um, pretty extensively. Um, you know, good, a good example um, is, you know, Axial Healthcare, you know, kind of worked as one of their early customers to, to do an ROI study. And that's how it often happens is your early pilot customers, the ones who really, you know, take a leap of faith on you. Um, you, you have enough data with them over time because they were early and you're able to kind of do that longitudinal study around, um, you know, savings. And, and they were able to, to show that there was a mm-hmm. tremendous ROI on, on that contract and that helped them to kind of increase pricing. And then it also helped them get into the door, um, in other customers and it helped to accelerate sales cycle significantly. Um, and so we think that's, that's a really important part of the equation. Mm-hmm. I think the second, um, thing that we've found helpful for companies um, you know, able to comes to mind is, is doing this well is, um, is, is publishing or co-publishing with your customers. Um, yeah. so, um, you know, they, they early on, um, you know, work with on their customers to kind of, uh, co-publish the results of their behavioral health intervention and, and how that impacted, um, you know, their patients and kind of readmission rates and so on. And, and so to do that in conjunction with a customer, particularly one that is known to, the um, you know the end customer community um, provided great validation of of the intervention and the outcomes, and that helped um, to really put Ableton on the map and, and accelerate sales cycle. So you know those are two really kind of tactical things. Um, you know I think the 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 third thing um, that we found to be helpful is again back to that um, you know the the, the mission you know, sort of orientation and, and, you know, that, that strong, you know, centeredness in that, that mission, because I think, you know, customers have to, your early stage company, and, and it's going to be a long time before you're, you're at a scale where there's, uh, there's lots and lots of referenceable customers. And so you need people to take a leap of faith and people, mm-hmm. you know, take a leap of faith based on, you know, association with either, you know, mission or people. Um, and, and so we find that that, that often, um, you know, really helps too. Um, but there's other, you know, creative ways that I've seen for companies in our portfolio and otherwise like, you know, being willing to take on risk um, early on and things like that. But, you know, I think our bias is always how can you get, you know, recurring revenue contracts, predictable contracts, um, but but shift them to be a shorter sales cycle. And I think these are the, the things that have come to the forefront as being, you know, most helpful. I love it. I love it. No, I really appreciate this. Um, pile and uh and uh yeah i really appreciate the the kind of the uh not the roadmap you just lay up but the mindset i think is really really key and important to take away uh along the lines of following the dollars right in healthcare and as as you, as one sells um uh the other side of the physics right is also you know there's this this uh this notion of the ehrs it's not a notion obviously it's the pillar it system for a lot of hospitals and obviously yeah. a lot of your investments it's critical and key that you either integrate or have a strategy on how you're going to enhance integrate latch on to or are you going to be a side system that adds value doesn't necessarily need to integrate do you have any latest thoughts on how um, you know new innovation specifically on the software end should be thinking of EHRs whether they really should be looking to to integrate or you know obviously there's also the enterprise SaaS companies getting into the mix now because of value base and there's a lot of dollars on the table so the Googles the Amazons the you know the Havens the Microsoft Salesforces of the world are getting in mm-hmm. how should how should your portfolio companies and new health IT companies getting into the space be thinking about uh, integrations with these systems um, 
you know, you hear you hear both ways, right? You hear it's just like, oh, well, you, you integrate with our EHR, great, but you know, we're so behind on versions for up, updating our EHR right now, our Epic concern, or, mm -hmm. uh, or sometimes it works. But just love to see if you have a, a viewpoint on that. Sure. Yeah, no, I think at this point there is pervasive adoption of mm -hmm. uh, of EHRs, um, even if mm -hmm. folks are on an upgrade or conversion lifecycle. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think the key is that you have got to provide your solution within the workflow for a provider. And so mm -hmm. if um, your solution is, is clinical in nature or is delivered at the point of care or, um, you know, delivered at some point where the provider is interfacing um, you know, with the EHR, I think you've got to be embedded there. Um, or if you benefit from the data in the record, um, you've got to be integrated there because I think the hardest um, thing is to get um, providers or any end, end stakeholder to kind of go outside of his or her normal workflow and access another software solution, um, you know, to, to, to do that. They're very busy um, and, and it's just not a recipe for success. And so our bias um, or what we've seen in our portfolio certainly a desire for integration, and that was one of the, the reasons that um, we had heard every single one of our, our portfolio companies screaming about this pain point, how hard it was to integrate, and that's why we were proactively looking for a solution that would make it easier, and that's when mm -hmm. we um, we invested in Redox. After looking mm -hmm. at all the companies in the space, um, you know, we said this is the, the technology that's the right approach, it's the team right. that really gets this space because they came from Epic and had done mm -hmm. integrations of Epic, Cerner, you know, Allscript, et cetera. Um, and, um, and they're really making it easy for startups at the time that they started to, to really integrate in. And, um, and today Redox is really that gold standard around um, integrating into, you know, the 20 and plus, um, you know, potential uh, EHRs, including all of the cloud-based uh, and, and SaaS ones like Athena and others. Um, and Redox is the chosen partner for a lot of those companies that you mentioned, you know, on the onset, the big public tech companies that are getting into healthcare are partnered, um, you know, with Redox around their own integrations. And so I think, um, you know, back to your original question, I do think integration is important. I think being where the data is and being where the workflow is is critical and now it's easier than ever because there are solutions like Redox that serve, you know, both startups as well as enterprise, um, you know, customers that want to fulfill this integration. And so there's, there's really no reason not to, not to take mm -hmm. that approach. I love it. I love it, Pyle. Um, no, thanks. Thanks for, for, for laying that out. And, um, I guess, you know, my last question. So first of all, I really appreciate your time. This is, this is pretty, you know, enriching. And, and these are always super rewarding for myself and for our listeners, hopefully. Um, on thinking of the future, right? You know, so your investments, the topics you're looking at, the, the companies you're growing, these are phenomenon that will continue to grow and hopefully, you know, be anchor fixtures or in, in workflows in the modern healthcare setting. But tell me a little bit, Pyle, about what healthcare looks like in the future. What what are what vision are we marching towards from your perspective? What what are you optimistic to see? And, and you know, what does that look like? Uh, you know, it, it, your vision of health and healthcare in the future. Sure. Um, yeah. One of the the visions that I'm I'm excited about for the future is that healthcare will become you know personalized and consumer centric. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think for all the reasons we talked about, it is going to take time because of complexity and the and stakeholders and just you know it's it's hard to make tectonic shifts. Um, so we're taking baby steps right now, and I think we're in the phase of of enabling and unlocking the data um, for for healthcare to 
to um, to become more and more um, personalized. I think that's the first step. You know, there mm-hmm. are companies developing you know models around appropriate care for particular disease states or comorbidities, and getting more and more refined on how do you treat a person. Um, you know, as opposed to um, a disease. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I think we're starting to develop the models. Uh, and then the incentive structures we already talked about are starting to lead to, you know, holistic, preventative, value-based care. Um, and, and so I see a future where, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, kind of a, the data allows for, um, and this is part of Redox vision, the data allows for a you know, central patient ID that's always with you. There are, you know, models of, of care that are allowing appropriate care for you as a, as a person, um, as opposed to as a population or a member of a population. Um, and it leads to a better experience that mirrors um, the experience that, that exists in other industries like retail or hospitality. But mm-hmm. again, I'm, um, you know, I think I'm um, rational on the time frame that it's going to take and it's not going right. to happen, you know, right. tomorrow. Right. Yeah, no, Kyle, I'm right there with you. Absolutely. I mean, I, it is fascinating and exciting to see, you know, we're getting towards consumerization, personalization. If it takes a little bit longer, that's kind of okay too, right? I mean, obviously, you know, we're talking about, you know, a major shift that hopefully should take our, you know, 20% of the US GDP and shift it in the right, in the right direction. And if it takes a little bit longer, maybe that's okay. But, um, but yeah, I'm right. I'm right there with you. It is exciting to see. And, you know, for, you know, our families and our future generations, you know, hopefully a lot of the companies, a lot of the things you're looking at, a lot of the innovations coming out are going to serve as fixtures and, and, you know, form, form these new platforms and processes that'll, that'll pave the way for a, for a great future. Um, Pai, I, what, again, I want to be sensitive to your time. I just want to say a, a couple of things. First of all, thank you for peeling off time. For, for making time to do this show with us and to do this episode. Second of all, thank you for sharing your origin story. And if I would add one last piece, uh, I really appreciate you know your background, your perspective, your experience, and how you're applying everything um, you know deep and wide from the technology, the medical side, uh, into you know not just voting with your dollars and investing, but helping to nurture and grow and mentor these the the companies that are you know paving the way for an exciting future. So, Pyle, I just want to say thank you so much for being on our show. This was this was phenomenal. This was great. Thanks, Anthony. I really appreciate you having me here, and uh, and glad to be able to kind of facilitate this uh, this change and hope for the future in healthcare. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank thank you so much, Pyle. This was great. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>